You are part of a church community that loves you and cares for you. And when we open up God's word, we have something that is for all of us together. And there's something in today's message that I hope in a real, this is a positive statement, will bother you this week. And I hope as it molds around in your mind and you have temptation to go one way or the other, that God will work in your hearts today because he has something for you. It's been working on my heart personally. And I guess if God's working on my heart, I pray that he's working on your heart also. Do you have your Bibles with you? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, chapter number five. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen for you to follow along in the scripture. There's also inside of your bulletin, there's message notes in there that you can help follow along. The goal is to remember something. So the goal at the end, when you have lunch this afternoon with your family, if you have children upstairs in kids' church, you can ask them, what did you learn today in kids' church? And then they may reciprocate and say, what did you learn? And you don't want to say, um, I don't remember. You want to remember something. So help to remember what it is that you're to learn today and apply to your life. Through the course of this series, we've been working through during the school holidays, the book of Galatians, and particularly the word that's on the screen, the word together. And the thought behind this is we are from a variety of backgrounds. No two families are identical. We have different likes and dislikes, and every single one of your stories is unique. And as God has brought you here into our church family, we recognize that we're unique and different. You look around, you think, no one looks exactly like me. And that's wonderful. How is it that we can be together and still be so unique? What we find in this passage in in, in the Word of God in the book of Galatians is written by a man named the Apostle Paul, and he's addressing some serious issues in this area of Galatia in modern-day Turkey. There was some false doctrine that had come into this church that told them that they had to return to the old way of living as in under the law. And in order to be under the law and follow Jesus as well. And that is not what we find that Jesus taught. That's not what we find the Apostle Paul or any of the other apostles taught. It was a false doctrine that they had been accepting. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Then he goes on in this passage and says, but there is no other gospel. Any other gospel is a false gospel. Do the right thing. And he's challenging them through chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 to know what is true and to live what is true. And now we're in chapters 5, and next school holidays we'll be looking at the end of chapter 5 into chapter number 6. And this is the, the now what. You ever been told by someone, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that? I'm finding that with my children. My wife is away in the U.S., I'm happy to report she went for her sister's wedding and at 4.30 this morning, I was watching it online, she was married this morning, so it's a successful trip so far. And we are surviving, a little skinnier, but we're surviving. And I'm discovering, and I'll, I'll say this with my children in the room, and they would all attest, that I have no problem pointing out the faults. Don't do that. Stop doing this. Will you be quiet? And you may find that as a parent, you have no problem going, don't, 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 don't. 
You ever find yourself, and I'm talking being very transparent as a father now, that we have a much harder time telling, do this. Don't do that, but do this. We have no problem pointing out the faults. And you may find yourself in a, in a position in life where you know exactly what you're not supposed to do. There's a long list of don'ts that you've been following through your life, and you know I'm not supposed to do this, I'm not supposed to do that, but then you think, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? So publicly, I'll always tell to my children, I will work to tell you what to do and not just focus on what not to do. Now do the dishes. As we work through this passage, now we're in the application aspect. And we're coming to a point that's very well known, known as the fruit of the Spirit. And our principle for today is this. A gospel-focused church, which is what we want to be, will live to produce godly fruit. And I'm specific by saying godly fruit because we can produce ungodly fruit, but we're called to produce godly fruit. We have a temptation to turn and return to the old way of living. But as the Apostle Paul is teaching through this book, we are adopted into the, the family of God. Why would we ever want to go back? It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You know what's amazing about that is? We have the list of don'ts. And we know those. But now we're said, we don't have to live in just, don't do this, don't do that. Now we get to live in a do, but it's not a list of do's like you better do this, you better do this, you better do this. That's just another way of saying don't, don't, don't. Now we get to say we're part of the family of God. So we get to serve in a totally different way of, uh, in a totally different attitude. This is the area of time in our life which the now what? Okay, I know what we're not supposed to do. Now what? What am I supposed to do? One of my favorite movie trilogies is the Indiana Jones trilogy. Now, I know there's four movies, but I don't count the fourth one because it's dumb. So the, the one from the 80s is really good. The most powerful scenes is when in the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and I'm not preaching on this, this is just an illustration, and he's poisoned, and now he must find the antidote. Now, if you've been poisoned, you don't go, oh, that's nice. So, everything that Indiana Jones did, he had a huge jewel. He didn't care about that anymore. He could only care about finding the antidote to the poison that was going to take his life. Everything else was of, of no effect. He could only focus upon that. And of course, as the movie goes on, he destroys the nightclub and everything. People get killed so he can could, he could live. But the real th thought is his 100% focus was, I must have the antidote. Then after he had the antidote and he was no longer going to die of the poison, do you think that he should continue to live as if he hadn't received the antidote? you think he should go back to the old way of living and live in desperation? Or should he live as if someone who has now been healed and can now move on with life? If you've seen the movie, you know that he moves on with life. And the thought behind that is the fact that sometimes you and I, we go back to the old way of living as if we didn't have the antidote to our sin. 
We have the antidote and it's found in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And if you've placed your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, why would you ever want to go back to living as if you were still living under the poison of our sin and under the poison and the consequences of our sin? Now we get to live new in Christ. And what we find in this passage is three antidotes to returning to the old way. And this is just introduction. It's in your bulletin. You can see these follow along. The first is, the first antidote is respond to God. And we respond to God by accepting the freedom that we have. Two weeks ago, we talked about that. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's saying there, why would you ever want to go back to the slavery? But you've been given the antidote. The antidote is now we have freedom. We, as we respond to others, and that passage continues on in verses 13 and 14, but particularly in verse 13, it gives us how we respond to others is through love. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use freedom for an opportunity to the flesh. And here's the antidote. But through love, serve one another. So the antidote to our relationships Breaking down is to serve through love. Our antidote to our sin is to accept the freedom that we've been given and live in the freedom that God has given to us. And then how do we respond to life? This is the now what? The antidote to life isn't just a list of rules to follow and just try real hard. Or it's not just look very spiritual and as long as you think I'm okay, then I must be okay. He gives us the solution. The third is to respond to life is to walk by the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Once you've received an antidote, and you're no longer under the effects of the poison, you now have a choice whether to go back and continue to live as if you were poisoned, in the desperation and uncertainty? Or are you going to move forward and live as if you have the antidote and you have the cure? And my proposition to you, and I think we can all agree, that we want to move forward and not back to the old way of living. And that leads us into what we have today. Again, our principle again is a gospel-focused church will live to produce godly fruit. So this morning, I'm going to very quickly go through two main points. The first one is a contrast between the flesh and the spirit that we find in verse number 16. It says there, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're going to build on what we talked about last week with some application, but we must build a foundation first. Do you find yourself, this is a bit of a rhetorical question, but I think we can all answer yes to this. Do you find yourself in a constant struggle between the things that you know you're supposed to do and the things that you you end up doing? 
the, the list of things that you know you're not supposed to do, you end up gravitating towards them. And at the end of it, you feel guilty and you feel bad. But then the cycle continues on again and again. That's the beauty of what we have in the scripture when he talks about confessing our sins. The Bible says in the book of First John that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's, it's not a once off. It's a continue. I'm coming back, God. God, it's me again. It's totally natural. And it takes no specific effort to live in the flesh, to live the old way. And the scripture here in the book of Galatians begins to list off a number of areas of the flesh, the natural way of living. Verses 19 through 21, the Bible says, For the works of the flesh are evident. They're very obvious to all of us. Then he begins to list them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And then if he didn't touch on any of them, and things like these. And what we can see, these are broken up into really three main categories. The categories are sensual sins, superstitious sins, and social sins. And they all start with an S because I got them out of a book because someone's far smarter than me alliterated it. And we can see our sensual sins as in the sexual immorality and the impurity and the sensuality. It is totally natural to go back to those old ways of living. But that's not what we're called to do. That's the flesh. That's the natural. It's natural to not believe God and to turn to the superstitious sins of idolatry. And idolatry is anything that takes away the glory of God and places it upon some, someone or something else. We have sorcery where we try to find answers in, in areas that are we not to find answers for life. We find social sins. Notice the social sins is the longest one. Enmity and strife and jealousy. And you have things like fits of anger. You read those and you go, well, those are big words that I'm not really all that familiar with. So therefore, I probably don't really suffer from them. You start breaking them down. The enmity and the strife are, are kind of go together in regards to divisions. And you, we, we see this in our families. We see this within our churches. We see this within our community, the haves and the have-nots. The, the, you have this and I don't have this. And you have people that begin to gossip and work behind each other's backs and begin fighting together. We have fits of anger. And we think, oh, fits of anger, I didn't blow up today, so I'm okay today. And I've joked in the past that I'm glad that my family and I only live about a kilometer down the road because any longer in the car together on the way to church, we'd end up fighting. And so it's kind of nice that we live so close because if we had further and longer, some of you live in Australin and further, and you have plenty of opportunity to fight. And then you come to church and you open up the door and you smile and how are things? Wonderful! Five minutes earlier, it was fits of anger. I say that with a smile on my face, but you never feel good about that. And we have dissensions and divisions and envy and, and it goes on with drunkenness and orgies. And drunkenness has to do not just with alcohol, it has to do with the excess with anything in our life. Things within excess. And it goes on and, it's in, and it gives us this list of don'ts, which are totally natural and they take no specific effort to fall into. 
But we're not called to live in the natural. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not called to live the old way of living any longer. You're called to live in the supernatural. And that's our second point. We have the supernatural. We contrast the flesh and the list of things there. We look at it and think, that takes no effort at all. Anyone can do that. But now I have Christ in my life. And now I am an adopted child of God. Now, through the Holy Spirit, we can live supernaturally. And that's where we get to verse 25 that says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That keep in step with the Spirit is the foundation for today's message. There's absolutely no way that you're going to be able to produce spiritual fruit for God that is godly fruit in your own strength, in your own power. So we must be in step with the Spirit. I have a problem. I have a rhythm problem. It's not my heart. My heart beats, I believe, on rhythm. It's the coordination to have a beat. Like, I have no problem clapping in church. I have a serious deficiency in the ability to do it on time. And I have a lot of jealousy for people that have rhythm. A little over a year ago, Marlise Godfrey, who's here today, graduated from Navy cadet graduation. And she graduated, and she's in the Navy, and I celebrate your your work, Marlise. But as I watched her graduate in Melbourne last year, all of the cadets got together and they were a variety of backgrounds. They came together over the course of that cadet training and they became part of the Navy and in their official ceremony graduating from the cadet school. They had to march. And as I watched, I watched carefully. Now, normally what you do, and you probably did the similar thing to me, I was waiting for someone to mess up. I was waiting for the person like me, who's rhythmically challenged, to mess up because generally, this is, now I'm talking about me now. As you walk along, I'm thinking, oh, look at the sky, look at the birds. And in order to march successfully, if you, if you Google or go into YouTube and look at marching bands, amazing how they are all in sync. It only takes one person, one rhythmically challenged person to lose focus and to totally mess up the whole thing. And that's when you get lots of views on YouTube. In order to march and to keep in step, you have to ignore distractions. In order to keep in step, you have to remain focused. It doesn't really matter what you did three steps ago. If you were focused back then, but you're not focused now, then you're not going to be marching successfully. And you also have to totally trust your commanding officer. Whoever's calling out the orders to turn and left or right or forward or back or however it's done, You have to totally trust them and trust the people around you that they're going to be in sync also. In order to live supernaturally in the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's the only way we're going to be able to do anything for the Lord. Our church's doctrinal statement lays out a foundation for our understanding of the Holy Spirit. It's a short paragraph. It's by no means definitive because every single word is important through this doctrinal statement. And this is the doctrinal statement from the very beginning of our, of our church family together. 
And it lays out some real foundations. Let me read it for you. It's in your bulletin also. The Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God. He convicts people of their sin and need for Jesus Christ. His role is to convict people so they will come to know Christ as their Savior. It goes on. He lives in every believer from the moment of salvation. And what does he do? He gives a spiritual gift. He provides the believer with power for living, understanding of spiritual truth, and guidance in doing what is right. And Jesus himself teaches in John chapter 14, verse number 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, from whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And there's a real important phrase that Jesus used. He says, he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You have a struggle with the things that you know you're supposed to do, but you find yourself forgetting constantly and going back to the old way. When we are living in step with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings to our mind and helps us to know and to live what is true. We cannot do that by ourselves. So if we have a, a contrast between the flesh and the spirit, we also have a choice to make. Are we going to go back to the old flesh or are we going to live in the new in the Holy Spirit? In the passage there in the verse number 19 and 22, it says, Now the work of the flesh are, that's the old. And he goes on, but, but the fruit of the spirit is... And it says on the screen, dot, 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 because we find the words of Jesus. And our, what we're called to do is to live and to do the things that Jesus has called us to do. And what we find in the scripture is that Jesus has called us to produce fruit. Now, I am a very poor gardener. If it came down to gardening and providing for my family by producing fruit from our garden, we would be much skinnier and we would eventually die. We were very poor gardeners. But what we find with Jesus in John chapter number 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And what did Jesus do? And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This lines up perfectly with the teaching of Jesus, with what we've, we're talking about today of producing godly fruit. This is what we're called by Jesus to go and to bear fruit. But not just a once off. And I did that back in the 70s. I did it in the 80s. I did it when I was in my 20s. And now I've grown up and I don't have to do that anymore. Now it's the fruit that should abide. So it's a continual lasting fruit. When I go shopping, as I've told you a few minutes ago, my wife is in the U.S. right now. So I'm shopping now for things that I haven't shopped for for a very long time like cucumbers. And you look at the cucumbers, which are incredibly overpriced right now, and you, you're pushing them, and I really have no idea what I'm looking for. What makes a good cucumber? I don't know. But what I do know is, if I touch it, and it's mushy, then I'm reject. <laughs> and you try to find something that's not rotten. If you ever try to eat something that is rotten, you go, Puh, last night I cooked myself some food all by myself. It had been frozen in the freezer for a while, and I cooked it up, and it just didn't taste right. I took one bite, and I went, 
that doesn't taste right. And I went to take a second bite, and I had this discerning time. Do I take another bite and risk it, knowing that I'm going to stand in front of people with maybe a sick stomach tomorrow? Or am I going to just throw it away and eat cereal? And so I threw my delicious chicken away because it just didn't taste right. And it wasn't that I seasoned it wrong. It just tasted off. And if you've ever had food poisoning from off chicken, you know that it's not worth it. You want to check it first. You don't want to eat what is rotten. You want to eat what is fresh and what is delicious. And here we have a list in Galatians chapter 5 of the old, the rotten fruit. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it gives us a list of the old rotten fruit. None of that fruit that's listed there, the envy and the strife, the sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, none of that will ever produce fruit that will be glorifying to God. Let's just mull it over for just a moment. I'll pick on one that we all suffer from, fits of anger or jealousy or strife. And you think, God, could you somehow use my jealousy to bring glory to you? That's what we call rotten fruit. We can acknowledge that we go through our life, and if you're open to God's Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you, you can recognize that we suffer from every single one of these. At different periods of our life, we have a constant struggle between what I naturally want to do and living supernaturally in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what we find here, there's some consequences. And you and I, we can all choose our actions, but none of us can choose our consequences. And in this passage, at verse number 21 continues on, and it makes a very strong statement that I don't want to skip over because I want you to understand. Verse 21 says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We just listed off all those rotten fruits. And the passage here says, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And a cursory reading there is a saying is, if you do those things, you're not saved. But that's not what it's teaching at all. Anytime you come up with a theology and you come up with a conclusion in Scripture, you never take one verse as possibly out of context. You take all the verses talking about salvation and we put them together and we begin to look through and what are the patterns? What's taking place here? And what we basically understand here is God saying here is that is not going to be in my kingdom. I don't want those rotten fruit in my kingdom. Not talking about the individual, but the works those are not going to anyway be glorifying to God. What we do find in Scripture is in like verse 24 of that passage, where it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified or put to death the flesh with its passions and desires. The key question isn't, Are your works good enough? The key question is, Do you belong to Christ? That's the key question. It isn't, does, does your good outweigh your bad? Because all of us have sin in our life. What we find here is if you belong to Christ, he's put to death the flesh and the passions and desires and replaced it with something else. Romans chapter 6 gives us an understanding of this. If you want to study it, Romans 6, it's a great passage to study and spend some time meditating and mulling over in your mind. Chew on the truth. But I have four verses this morning from Romans 6. He's asking some rhetorical questions. 
What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, now that you know Christ is your Savior, can we just live any way that we want to live as if we were never saved and we just continue to live? But he goes and he says, by no means. Then he continues on in verse number 15 and asks another question. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And he's asking the question, now are we allowed to sin? Because no longer do we have the list of do's and don'ts of the law, and now we're free. Does that give us freedom to do whatever we want to do? And he says there, by no means. Because what has been paid for our salvation was a great price. It was not a cheap salvation. The salvation that you and I enjoy by placing our trust upon Christ as our Savior, when He's taken our sin and replaced it with His life through Jesus Christ, cost the very life of Jesus as He died on the cross for our sins. But thank God He didn't remain dead, but rose from the dead victoriously for us. And that's why we can see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The real question is, and this is all that to come to this short conclusion, and then how are we supposed to live? What we find here, we contrast and we have a choice between the old and now we have. And the next point is we have the new, the spiritual fruit. And the nine spiritual fruit are the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he adds on the end against such things. There is no law. It begins with this as the roots of this fruit tree producing fruit. It begins in the roots of it is who do you belong to? We find in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and his passions and desires. So it starts off with that foundation. The first and foremost question is, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you placed your trust upon Christ as your Savior? If so, the Bible says that that now you belong to Christ. Now you can now live spiritually through him and produce spiritual fruit as opposed to rotten fruit. And then the fertilizer that actually goes out and nourishes that root. It goes back to verses number 13 and 14 of this passage as well. It begins with love. Love is the connecting, the fertilizer of absolutely everything else. And these three focuses, these three fruit focuses, are focused in three different areas. We see them focused upon God, upon others, and then finally, from ourselves to others. We First of all, it's God-focused, the love, the joy, the peace. You see, when you've experienced the love of God and the joy of God and now have the peace of God in your life? Do you know what you can do now? Now you, from the overflow of that, now you get to be patient and kind and good. And you can show love 
and joy and peace to others. But we often have it backwards. If I have my life all together, and as long as I look okay on the outside, I look like I have love, I look like I have joy, I look like I have peace, then it must be okay. But that's not what we find in Scripture at all. It's the absolute opposite. We have a choice when we contrast the flesh and we contrast it with the Spirit. And if you know Christ is your Savior today, you can know that you now have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, whose role is to come alongside you and help you to do, not just to know what to not do, and to go out and live life with and for Him. And we offer opportunities through our church to help you grow in that area. That's one of the reasons why we have connect groups. That's why we have our Bible studies. We see that in, in the need to develop young people. That's why we have a youth group. We have our grow nights. We have Explore the Bible on Friday nights. That's why we meet together so we can have opportunities to produce fruit, as Jesus says, that will remain. But it all comes down to this one statement. Because now we have the antidote. This goes back to verse number 25. Galatians chapter number 5, verse 25. We have the antidote to the old way of living. And all we're called to do is to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, as you go out this week, you will have temptation to return to the old way. I want you to remember a couple of illustrations. Remember, I have the antidote. The antidote is the power of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, what do I do? And here's the one phrase I want you to remember this week. And I want it, as I said in the very beginning, to bother you a little bit this week in the best way. Keep in step with the Spirit. As you're driving and you would naturally do one thing, say, I want to keep in step with the Spirit. When you're on your computer and you would naturally go and look at, a, look at various things that you should not look at, I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. When you would respond in a way to your spouse or your loved one, the person that you say that you love in a very unkind way, I want you to stop for a moment and go, I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. When someone calls you and asks you for help and you go, oh no, naturally, I want you to go, keep in step with the Spirit. How should I respond if I'm responding in the Spirit? How different will our community be if we can start that even here? We're going to be totally in step with the Holy Spirit, ignoring distractions, totally focused upon what it is that God has called us to do. What kind of impact can God do in and through us in our community? Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our 10th anniversary. And I honestly believe that we have been keeping in step with the Holy Spirit and we've experienced Him opening doors of opportunity that are far beyond the natural and we've gone into the supernatural and understanding these are things that only God can do.